It is part of the human condition to be drawn towards drama, which of course shows up at work. But guess what? It is not up to the business owners and leaders alone to curb toxic drama at work. We all have a role in overcoming our ego and to stop outsourcing our own happiness. Yes, we mean you and me, by the way. Today on Let's Make Work Human, we talk to drama researcher, global thought leader, and New York Times bestselling author, Cy Wakeman. In this week's episode, we cover a lot of ground, touching on why drama has followed us right into working from home, even though we're alone, how we've created echo chambers that reverb the same messages over and over again, and flawed attribution theory. In this conversation, we learn that each of us has a critical role in our own essential happiness at work, and that thriving is available to us if we're willing to do the internal work that's necessary. Cy Wakeman cultivates a counterintuitive, reality-based approach to leadership. Based by over 25 years of unparalleled experience, Wakeman's philosophy offers a new lens through which employees and executives alike can shift their attention inward, sharpen their focus on personal accountability, and uncover their natural state of innovation simply by ditching the drama. Are you ready? We love this conversation and can't wait to hear what you think. Imagine if work was actually good for people. Not just for a few people, but for everyone in every job. Sadly, work today is often not only not good, but is actually terrible for the human beings who work there. We can do better. On this podcast, my friend and colleague, May Ratz and I, Mo Carrick, with our amazing guests, bring you both the hard questions and the real solutions to reimagining and resetting every workplace from the tiny mom and pop to the mega company to be good for people. When we thrive at work instead of just survive, everyone wins. Let's take a look at what it takes to make work human. Hello, good morning. Welcome back to the podcast. Mo's here, May's here, and people, Cy Wakeman is here. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. We go into why this is a big deal for me, and I probably will later, but Mo, will you explain who Cy is? why Sai is here, how you found Sai, will you do the things? Yes, I will. All I will say is I'm a huge, super duper fan of Sai Wakeman's work and really honored that you can be here and join us with the pod. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do that. And I first learned about Sai, I think actually it was because I saw one of your talks, maybe it was a TED talk or something like that. I was like Googling, dealing with gossip. Because it's like the most common thing that clients complain about and talk about in our work. And I was like, wait, who's this person? And then I think I, we connected, May, that when you were at Work Human, you heard Sai speak. And so I was just like, wow. So following your work, reading your books, loving all the things. And as we were making our A-list for the pod, she was at the top. And so I thought I'm just going to reach out. And I was super honored that you said yes. So that is how we know of Sai's incredible work. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And we've had a few moments before we push record. So I'm madly in love with both of you. And uh, this is just a super fun opportunity. Oh, awesome. Okay, let's jump in. You're a drama researcher. Yes. That was not offered to me as a career path. at the end. <laughs> Although I would have been maybe good at it at that point. Can you please tell us what is it and how did you get here? So it was like... 
many of our careers, we all look at people who are accomplished and we think they like totally planned it out. And when we ask them, sometimes they revise history. They act like they totally planned it out. And it does such a disservice to people who are sitting around thinking like, what's the one big thing I want to do with my life? I'm like, it doesn't happen that way. My whole career is based on the accidental discovery and in other frustration, actually. Mm. And so it started, I was a leader in a medical facility of physician clinics. I really, at the time, this was like 90s. I was so frustrated by the lack of efficiency in healthcare and the way people did things. It seemed so archaic. This is sounding familiar to every 25-year-old today. This is a new phenomena. No, <laughs> it was going on then. How physicians would get something actually in the patient's record it took a week and a half. They would see the patient, not record when their memory was fresh, called the issue. On the weekends, a week after they'd seen the patient, they would try and remember from these cryptic, bizarre notes in a little piece of paper. And they would dictate into a little microphone that they either carried or they had to call in on a landline to a transcriptionist. So then there's this bay of people that would take transcription and they would listen to it and type it in. So like Siri, but like real people, then they would send it back to the physician who had to read it and sign off on it. And then it would get printed out on a sticky paper, like a big sticker. And we'd have to peel it off and stick it into the charts. And then they would have to read it and initial it. And then if you went to the ER, the chart would be in the office But at the emergency room, nobody would know that you were just seen for anything. And a hundred thousand things about that drove me crazy. Yeah. You just make that up? That was wild. How it happened. That is so all these folks coming into the workforce today are like, I just hate that they haven't upgraded their models. I'm like, oh my God, you think that's frustrating? (laughs) From the old people, the ancient ones, what's frustrating? Like us. So I don't know anything about anything, but I'm at this conference and this company said, you can buy this electronic medical record and physicians just while they're seeing the patient type right in who can't keyboard type right into the record while they're listening to the patients and it's done. It saves you. And in transcriptions charged us by the minute, we have to pay like a buck a minute or like 50 cents a minute for this. It was crazy. So without even thinking about change management or business readiness, I'm like slam dunk. We're saving money. We're implementing this thing. I'm buying it. We're implementing it like over Christmas. Like this is what we're doing. So I buy it and I come back to the docs and I'm like, was it Epic? It was way before that. It was called Dairyland. Oh, I remember Dairyland. I do. Codenames in the electronic medical record system, Dairyland. This is before we had branding people. (laughs) (laughs) Why? This is wild. This is only in the 90s, people. So I say for the holidays, I go, you guys, I got you the best gift ever. You're all going to love it. And I actually think they're all going to love this. And they were like, oh, my gosh, this is the most horrible thing you could ever do to us. We will lose productivity. It will take us longer. We won't be able to see as many patients in the clinic. They'll all show up in the emergency room. And basically, people are going to die if you make us do this. I'm like, like, and our doctors won't use it. 
in our doctors. That was already the reason why they wouldn't use it. So I'm like, you guys, this is ridiculous. That's not even true. This will save you time. And so people would corrupt my data. Like it wouldn't save them time because, oh, they wouldn't learn to keyboard. And so they wanted to make it about the system being slower instead of them not keyboarding. So I learned so much about corrupting data with resistance. We all think change takes 18 months. It does when you let people corrupt data with resistance and lack of acceptance. So many things were born for me in coming from being a counselor to a manager, because I'm like, people don't know how their mind works. They don't know how reality works. Like people are using horrible mental processes. I also was in my master's program and I needed a thesis project. So I thought, you know what? I cheated all the time, not scholastically, but I would use my work projects for my master's so I didn't have to do double work. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to do a slam dunk HR productivity study. I know how much time the physicians spent in transcription because they paid by the minute. I have that baseline. I'll put an observer in their room and I will just have them time stamp how much time the physician spends with the patient and how much time the physician spends with the keyboard. Then I will measure the keyboard against the transcription. I will write a paper over the weekend and I will graduate. It's my last project. So I did want my data corrupted. So I tested for three physicians who could actually keyboard and didn't hate it so that I would at least get some clean data. So the day came for one week. i blocked off the weekend for one week. I had people I was going to have in their rooms collecting two columns worth of data, time with patients, time on the keyboard, because physicians weren't fancy enough to actually type while talking to others yet. This is <laughs> So to do research, you have to get it through the research board and you have to get it through your preceptor and you have to get it approved and you cannot change it or you will delay your own graduation. Who would do that? The people observing call me within an hour of being in the room. And they're like, Sai, we need a third column. I'm like, no, no, you have two columns. You have clear instructions <laughs> on the weekend. We don't care about discovery. We don't care about innovation. We don't care about my future career as a drama researcher, which wasn't even invented yet. <laughs> and they pushed it back and they go, Sai, we're dying. We absolutely need a third column. You, this will blow your mind. And I said, okay, what would you put in the third column? And they said, how much time the physician spends complaining about the keyboard? (laughs) And I'm like, dang it. As a social science researcher, I'm like, we have to get that information. Two and a half hours a day. I'm like, it was actually two hours and 26 minutes. I'm like, okay. So I wrote the paper and I changed that. I added that as like post notes. And my preceptors were fascinated by this. And they said, but do you think this is generalizable? I go, no, I think physicians are big whiners. Who else would spend? And the two and a half hours isn't just whining. We'll get into that. But basic like venting, gossiping, um, scorekeeping, resisting, like lack of buy-in, change resistance. like Workarounds probably. All these workarounds, cheating, like all these things, like half-hearted attempts. We didn't measure all of that. So I went and measured nurses and then food service workers and then bankers. And I got obsessed with it. And what I found out is it's two and a half hours a day. It's a human condition issue, not a functional area, not an industry. It transcends all of this, which as a social science researcher, I am like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Because I also got pushback. What's the ROI of that training? And I used to say, what's the ROI of your mother? Are we trying to do that? But all the finance people would be like, what's the ROI of training? I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes. And then it dawned on me, if I could quantify the cost of drama, 
I could quantify with time equals salary and benefits, the cost of not training, the cost of untrained and the benefit of trained. And it just gave birth to this whole thing that really set me off on a career path that fit in because my background as a therapist is I'm like, if that's two and a half hours of drama, which I defined as emotional waste, I can go on to look at that. That's 816 hours per person. And these are good performers. These are people that we rate meets or exceeds expectations. If we could upcycle two and a half hours, it's time that people are not as productive. They're working hard, but working hard with a grudge, it affects their well-being before we ever talked about well-being. So energy is, or drama is any energy, it's emotional waste, any energy that's not going towards results and well-being. So it's like results, but with poor well-being. And here we are, 2020s, years later, this was in the 90s, I started to think, if drama is emotional waste, how do you eliminate waste? Lean processing would tell us you improve the process, lean improvement, continuous improvement. And if it's mental waste, you just need to emotional waste, improve your mental processes. And by the way, that's what I did for years as a counselor was I taught people how their mind works so they quit getting played by their ego. And I taught people how the world works so they quit arguing with reality, which is an argument they'll lose 100% of the time. And I realized that could be the true role of a leader mm-hmm. is to help people learn and to facilitate good mental processes, eliminate drama. People would be happier and people would be more productive at work. Wow. Yeah. Long answer. But what a what an amazing process. And like the light, like for me, I'm just like, bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because one of my early jobs or right out of grad school was that I was in charge of a billing implementation for oh the only, I know the only company that ever implemented Steve Jobs's next computers in-house it was Macaw Cellular those big black boxes I was in charge of training people around the country to use the billing system and that is exact what you're describing is exactly what I experienced the training of how to use the system was completely the non-issue right the issue was all the energy wasted the sticky notes the parallel systems people complaining people of the coffee cooler people resisting utilizing the system what it meant to them etc and that was in 1987 yeah. right? and the biggest problem with all of that is change management went in and said let's make change least disruptive to the people and cuddle the people yeah. instead of business readiness which is what we teach how do you deliver up ready willing and able people yeah. so we went on to research all this stuff, like we got into the sources of drama. And then we looked at if what we're teaching people as leadership philosophy would help or hurt, fuel or diffuse trauma. And what we found out is most of what we were teaching people and continue to teach people to this day, enable and fuel the drama. Oh. That leadership philosophy is not evidence-based. It's not based in human behavior economics. And things like change management puts all the responsibility on the leader to make change least disruptive to the people and puts zero shared accountability on the individuals involved because the one thing we believe that we have challenged, I surveyed what are beliefs around change. Number one belief, change is hard. Number one belief. But we know that's not true. If change is hard, change is the independent variable. Hard is the dependent variable. Change is only hard for the unready. And if we found that people's readiness impacts how hard they find change. So if people are not ready, then change is very hard. 
And so we need to work on readiness, not coddling the people. And so what I didn't intend in this accidental discovery is to blow up traditional HR philosophy, employee relations, engagement surveys. If you over-rotate on engagement without accountability creates entitlement, and then we wonder why we have entitlement. And it just became like a blow up. So I almost stepped away because I couldn't even stand going to conferences. Like I'm like, I was like the person who saw the magician's secret. I couldn't see the illusion. I'm like, she didn't get cut in half. She just cuddled up. Can you people see this? (laughs) And so what I started to do instead is just quietly use my beliefs and discoveries to lead teams. And we were smashing it. We were getting results where no one else was. People in healthcare were asking us to come talk about how are you doing this with how's your staff happy and engaged and producing results. And they would ask me to speak and I would feel bad. I'm like, I go to HR. I'm like, I'm going to speak, but I'm going to give a lot of what you're not doing. Is that, do you really want me to speak? Are you so cool? (laughs) So cool. Oh my gosh, so good. And actually, as I listen to you, I may you're maybe having this these same wheels turning. I'm like, oh shit. Like we're probably teaching some of that stuff that is not actually in sync with what the empirical data, although I'm hoping that in many cases I think a lot of it by now I think so many of those philosophies are starting to catch up. We're talking the nineties. But still Jeffrey Pfeffer is really a strong advocate for exactly what you're saying in his book Leadership BS, where he really is talking about in particular like the guru side of leadership theory, which is around very personality driven and, and that kind of piece. And so I'm so it's a really good cross check though for me around since our emphasis so much is around making work good, some of what we say is so in sync with what you're saying, which is part of making work good is that I can be ready to perform at my best, right? That I can bring the tools I have and make a difference and obviously purpose, et cetera. But I'm curious, before we go too much further, I would love to have you speak about what you were talking about, the ways that we waste energy and that, yeah, that there's many of them. What is your research saying right now about the number? And in particular, I say right now, I'm thinking about the dramatic period we're in of post-global pandemic, the world of work really coming under the microscope. In my mind, it's a very exciting time because we're really feeling the pain that maybe will force us to change the way that we work in some more profound ways. Where is the drama centered right now? Where's the waste? What's the biggest wasted energy you're seeing? So the key that we have found is that just because many of us are now working from a different location, we brought ourselves with us. (laughs) So the drama always has been internal to somebody's mental. And so we all said, oh, people quit because of their leader or people don't want to return to the office because they weren't happy there. Now, I love the flexibility we have found. I love the humanness we have found that people actually have lives and pets and kids. And it's ridiculous that up until 10 years ago, some women were required to wear pantyhose at work. I love that discovery, but people are not happier. People appreciate flexibility. But what is happening is drama has stayed the same. It is a human condition. Everywhere you go, there you are, Mm -hmm. unless you're evolving. And we can't develop drama out of you because that's intellectual. Drama is about evolution and self-reflection and doing your inner work. Mm -hmm. That's what happens. And so many people outsource their happiness So if they're in the office, it was because they didn't have the same amenities or their boss wasn't appreciative. Now, when they go home, 
their dog chews loudly or they like our happiness. People are like, everybody loves working from home. No, people find it less challenging because they are, have like this lower tolerance for any inconvenience, Mm -hmm. but that's not a positive thing. Now, if you're going to work from home and we all work from home and we have decentralized settings, that's fine, but you have to stay rightly challenged. We work from home, but we all go out and present to 10,000 people at a time. And we are in um, challenged with figuring out plane schedules. But as we bring people home, their tolerance for any inconvenience is decreasing. So if you've outsourced your happiness and your tolerance for inconvenience is decreasing, you're gonna get less happy because the world's less perfect and no one can take responsibility for your happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't realize what is happening. Knowledge transfers going down, echo chambers are increasing because we have limited the data points we get that challenge our thinking or our being, or if you're at home and you don't have to go out in the world and you get to control your inputs of your news channel and your echo chamber on social media, you are not evolving. You are dissolving. Mm. And that's my biggest soapbox right now. Wow. That's so powerful. I haven't, I really truly haven't thought of it that way until you're just saying the words right now. And I think it's really completely true. And I want to make sure for our listeners that they're understanding. So when you're talking about outsourcing your happiness, you're talking about the ways in which we make up that our satisfaction at work in this case, let's say in particular, is related to this or that, my boss, my place of work, my commute, whatever. And what you're saying that I think is so powerful is that when we are working at home or when we have flexible schedules, the big common denominator there is us <laughs> and that we're carrying that unhappiness right with us, no matter what the circumstances are. So the inner work includes figuring out what. Yeah. Tell us more about the inner work. I know a lot of what you talk about is that we've got this inner work. I come from mental health and people are like, we have a mental health crisis. I'm like, that's outsourcing and I'm not blaming any victims. And I acknowledge chemicals, biology rules, psychology. Let's all be clear about this. But I also know that it's revealing to us a mental health crisis is how many people had outsourced their happiness. Why did you leave your job? My leader sucked. No, I left my job because I chose not to grow in a way that it would entail turning towards a leader that differs from me and having conversation that evolves the both of us. I'm underskilled in that area. So I just leave. There's research that Gallup did that that people leave their jobs because of managers. That is flawed with attribution theory. You've made the decision to leave. Are you going to own that? Or when I do the exit interview, are you going to blame that? And when I follow people who left their job because they're leaders, the weird thing was they left four more jobs because of their leaders. What are the odds that they get five bad leaders in a row. So when I outsource, that means that I've limited options. Something happens that we have a part of our organization that strategically moves to a different location. I only have one option. I don't agree with it. That sucks. I'm mad. And when we limit our interaction with others, we get in an echo chamber of people that collude with us and say, you're right. You have a right to be mad. And what we teach leaders to do and everyone to do for each other is to validate people's experience that seems scary from what you're telling me, but not validate the sense they're making of their experience. Don't be part of the echo chamber. Ask them to think of 10 different outcomes 
on how this could play out and what their part in that is. So that outsourcing your happiness isn't when something happens, you have one option. The pandemic has been very disruptive for many people, but most people believe the one option is post-traumatic stress. But what we know in the research is that when people actually have super personal trauma, more people emerge grown with post-traumatic growth than post-traumatic stress grown by the better. Why? One, they have important people in their lives that hold space for the experience, no toxic positivity, no gaslighting. But at the appropriate time, they help hope make a comeback. And they say, I'm not going to validate the sense you're making that your life is over. Let's imagine multiple positive possibilities and let's move your energy away from why we can't to like how we could. The original question, like these sources of drama and the outsourcing, how drama shows up is ego, venting, complaining, tattling, scorekeeping, grudge holding, um, working for the History Channel, brown bagging, anything that would ruin your relationship, basically, is what we do in all of our relationships. We're like, what's the quickest way to ruin a relationship? I'm going to do all of that daily. That's <laughs> Lack of accountability, if I'm the victim here, you are insulting me by suggesting I was somehow co-creating this when in science, we know that everything you're part of, you have an effect in like observer effect, even like putting a light protons on a screen when you're watching changes and to deny that part of reality is profound. And then there's a lot of people who forget that buy-in is a verb. They're like, you up the ante, buy me in. I'm like, I can't buy your love. Like, I'm not going to be performative. If you were in a relationship and somebody was asking you to be performative and perfect and your margin of error was one inch or they wouldn't date you, you would say, screw that. That's a red flag. And yet most of us show up for work going, be performative. Like I buy in a verb and I need to be able to buy in based on my conditions knowing there's reality involved. I won't always have the information I need. My leader as human will make mistakes. My team members will have variations in their performance. I will need to have hard conversations like, and then change, which in the eighties, we started to tell change was something we tell people you have to get good at this. 40 years later, we're like, no, seriously, like whatever competency do we give people 40 years to get good at? It's not personality. And then (laughs) Engagement, people don't realize engagement is so much more of a choice than we give people credit for. And how do we know this? People who are in low states of accountability are in low states of engagement and people high states of accountability are in high states of engagement, same environment. Wow. That's I get so excited talking to you guys. I'm giving you like too much to unpack. Oh my gosh, no, I love it. And I just want to say it again. Because in the same environment, you people have people who, who have low states of engagement and lo- have low states of accountability, and people with high set, state, states of engagement have high states of accountability. And it, it's, I think, it's so powerful for everybody to remember. And it's also very enlivening, yeah. right? When we think about what it is that we are responsible for about our own thriving. One of the things that's always bugged me is that I hear leaders, we get calls, I'm sure you do too. You no, know, we want to help people. We want to help our leaders empower their people. And I'm always like, you don't empower people. I can't say to me, hey, I want to empower you to do this. She may have to make some decisions. Yeah. Empowerment, when people are like, I need to be empowered. I'm like, empowerment is stepping into the power you already have. Exactly. Exactly. I invite you to the meeting, show up and speak up. They don't feel comfortable. Then get more skilled. 
Exactly. And get braver. Like I'm hearing a lot of connection to something we do also talk a lot about, which is that intersection of courage and vulnerability, right? Which is in order to be brave, I have to be aware that I might do it wrong. I might do it imperfectly. And I think that's what stops a lot of people from the satisfaction that they're looking for, which is part of where I think the work you talk about with ego comes in. It is because the ego is so fear-based. It's facts appearing real. It's false events, I'm sorry, appearing real. When you're toggled down and I ask you to be brave, you feel like the biggest martyr in the world. And toggled down, meaning you're seeing the world through like ego. You're the victim. You're adding fact plus story. And the story is intended. It's not accurate, but it's a corrupted view of the world to protect you, to justify why you've stepped down. When you do a lot of our tools that we just call edit your story, question your thinking inquiry, you realize that the story you added, there are things you can't possibly know to be true. And when you look at just the facts, being brave isn't that difficult once you have transcended ego and you're into like all of your intelligence. And so a lot of people try and do things with their team members toggled down and their good strategies, they'll never work until your team members are toggled up and then they work beautifully because we're in higher levels of consciousness. But so many people have absolved themselves from maintaining higher levels of consciousness. Mm. So a lot of people in diversity efforts will be like, this is just who I am. I'm bringing my whole self to work. And they feel like I'm anti-diversity because I'm like, do not do that. I do not want you bringing your whole self to work. I want you bringing your most evolved self to work. Now that includes all the intersections that make you, I want all that diversity. We need more of it. My customers are, I don't have a single customer who's a 58 year old white girl from Iowa. I've never had a customer who's been like me, like I need you, but this, I'm going to bring my whole self to work, bring your most evolved self to work and bring your most evolved self home and bring your most evolved self out tonight. Hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. That's like, almost it almost makes me not even have a response. It's so powerful because of the level of ownership that requires. What is it that I'm doing for myself that is my most evolved self, is my highest and best self? For us, this conversation with Cy Wakeman has been truth bomb after truth bomb, right? If you're listening and finding yourself thinking about how you show up as a leader or a business owner, it just might be time to get some support for ways that you can cut the drama and claim your impact. Our Leading People program is an eight-week transformative journey to activating the talents of your people without having to be a hero. Check out our website at leadingpeople.com for details and to apply. It's a cohort-based program, which means you get our expertise as well as the wisdom of peers just like you facing the same challenges every day. Like Sai says, empowerment is stepping into the power you already have. So isn't it time to invest? Now back to the show. Um, it's not mastery. Like a lot of people are like extreme ownership. I know what to do. I have the answers. I'm the smartest person in the room and everyone should listen to me. And I will, or it's all heroics, which is tantrum. And it's just mastery without the mystery. And so a lot of times people think accountability or extreme ownership are just ways for us to recreate hierarchy. But most evolved self is also, I'm really good with the mystery and I'm confident I have something to add, but I don't have all of the answer. It's a whole different way of moving through the world. So when people bring, for example, you talked about being 
in, in the DEI space, when people just are saying or are actually feeling like, I just need to bring my whole self to work, what are some of the bad things that happen? What are some of the consequences of that versus my evolved self? They get confused between unhelpful mental processes and impersonality. So a lot of people, I'll give you just a really simple I was coaching someone and from her background, ethnically, she said, in my culture, we just don't speak up in a room. That's just, I'm bringing my culture. I'm bringing my whole self. We don't speak up in a room when there's someone senior to us in the room, even if we need to represent the company. And I'm just, that's who I am. And that's what we'll have to work with. And quite honestly, I'm like, with all the love of my heart, you're a senior vice president with a billion dollar budget. (laughs) I think we need to adhere to a super culture here, which is good solid business behavior called let's use a tool to identify risks and look at the probability and impact and strategize for whether we accept, mitigate, or transfer those risks. Like I'm not asking you to forego like who you are and who you grew up as, but there are many times where the the position is that's like not who I am. Like I don't talk directly to people. I'm not a vulnerable person. I talk behind their backs and I character assassinate them with very little information. That's just who I am. I'm like, no, that's that may be who you are, but that's not a fit for us. Can you transcend that? And if not, then that's a performance issue for me. And I know I sound like a lot of listeners are like, she's such a, I would never work for that woman. And to know me, I swear to you, is to love me. I do call out when you are in double binds in your own head that the ego's playing you. Yeah. And also that you're less powerful, that you end up being less powerful than you could be, like for this person that you were talking about. And I'm struck with, I was thinking as you were talking about being a leader, being a people leader, let's say I have an employee and I'll look, like I'll pretend that it's May, May's of mixed race background, Chinese and white. And if May were to say to me, Mo, which isn't the case necessarily in terms of your personality, May, but if you were to say something like what size Kochi said, which is it's really hard for me my cult in my culture, my Chinese culture, we're more passive. We don't speak directly. It's really difficult. And I'm expecting her and in our work, it's required that she say something hard or stand up for herself. One of the things that I think is critical that I'd be able to do as a leader, and this is something you said earlier, Sai, again, I just want to underline it, is to validate her experience. Like yeah. I understand maybe that it's going to take you perhaps some extra energy to get yourself into your most evolved self to be able to do this. I believe in you. And yes. there's really and there's really compelling data about why that matters. And so she gets to then be in both of those identity pieces. She gets to be, yes, I am me. And I learned this and it's, it costs me energy to do something different than this. And in this context with what you're asking me, boss, and what I want to do with my career and how I want to be successful, it makes sense that I speak up, right? And I can, and you're by my side to help me. So that's the role that, a, that an evolved leader can do without getting stuck in feeling like, oh, I can't push her to be assertive because that's not who she is. That I don't have to get stuck in that trap, which is very disempowering and disvaluing for me as a leader as well. Because exactly. that I feel like- And it's like we narrow down on if I'm this, then that's the predetermined outcome. And yeah. I want people to expand and say how, given, I'll just take it from my own, since I don't know my heritage, like given my trauma when a male- someone who seems male and identifies as male gets very stern with me. I have quick tears. That's not really controllable. 
but I find it doesn't help us for me to cry in every tough situation. And I had to start by just ignore these tears. I just do that. I'm just going to talk through it until I could grow to the point where at first I just tended to myself. I'm like, hey, seven-year-old kid, I'm going to pack you away now. I got to go do some big girl work. And I'm about to tell this guy that he needs to quit interrupting her. So you might want to take a back seat. Excuse me, sir. Can you pass the microphone back to her? I, I want to be that upstander, but why couldn't I be the upstander? I thought it was just me, but it really was my trauma. And I thought, well, if I'm trauma, I can't do that if I have that trauma. And then I go back. I'm like, no, wait, I have trauma. I can do this. I will do this. And I will do it in a way that hopefully doesn't traumatize anybody else. Yeah. Two things are coming up for me. One is that it's it's just becoming very apparent how important it is on the back end of that experience if you're the boss and you watch someone move into their evolved self after a little nudge to see it. To be oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, I, good for you. I saw that. And do you see what happened? To like really validate that experience, to praise, to be there, to catch them in the moment of like why that was really awesome. Because I can feel myself hear this like, whole self conversation. And it's, I think there's a line there of, yes, bring the pieces of you that are so important and so there. And when I look at my culture of origin, there are stories there that are not real. Yeah, so It's also checking, yeah, that is who I am. And some of that stuff is not real. And some of that stuff is not useful. And that stuff I got to deal with in my own culture, right? Like yeah. that stuff I got to deal with my matriarchs, that stuff I got to deal with inside of there. And that I think we got to have that conversation in, in light group of, okay, but what isn't serving us? Because <laughs> we're out here trying to bring our best selves, y'all. And that's not, some of this stuff isn't our best self. Okay. So yeah. I think like both, it's a both of walking this line. Yes, yeah. bring it. And also look at actually what makes you feel more alive to bring mm. and what is the most useful. Like I just had this moment in this last meeting where I burst into tears. I was talking about something I was really in, impassioned about. And I've been feeling some shame spiral about, oh my gosh, that was probably a lot. And I've been thinking like, no, but was that, did I serve my best self in that moment? Was that actually something I've been thinking if my three-year-old was there, is that something I would like her to see? Yes, it wasn't performative, but yeah, like that was actually a more evolved version of myself. Yes. To even say that thing loud. But I think we forget that when it's, oh, but that's not how I usually am. <laughs> oh, so yes. that, can't be, that must not be right. We all had it right when we were 16. We all got patterned into that. That's crazy. There's so much goodness to what you're saying because so many people, like they see me on TikTok and part of the reason I get 2 million views is that people freak out because they get so <laughs> polarized. They're like, she's a Karen, she's gaslighting. And other people are like, she's amazing. Both are wrong because the amazing people are like, I'm going to show my team this so they come correct. And then <laughs> are like, she sucks. I would never work for her. And I'm like, every comment, you're all wrong because you're weaponizing yeah. this thing. I want leaders, the power of a modern leader is so change. It's not what you tell people to do. It's what you get them thinking about and the invitations you make. And so bringing your most of all self isn't exiling parts of yourself. It's not. I'm, I love internal family systems. It's all about all parts are welcome. Like really want to get rid of your ego. Like it protects you. It's been beautiful. It's been the one thing that probably kept you alive at crazy moments of your life. Like all parts are welcome. We just want to make sure that the higher self is the one self-leading. And that's what I mean by evolve self. So May, if all of a sudden you're like surprised by it, I'm so passionate and now I have all these tears and 
the difference is if you run out of the room and blame us, mm. or yeah. if I, as a leader, can move closer to you and say, as a teammate, I think we're all really interested in just listening right now. And then I'm not going to abandon you. Let's keep thinking about this for a while. What part of this serves you? What story may be falling away for you? But we are actually going home to work. We're losing the very few skills we had Mm -hmm. about dealing with complexity and being present to people in messiness. And we're doing so much mass abandoning. You don't agree with me. You're dead to me. Cancel culture isn't my issue. It is organized abandonment of humans. And our biggest fear as humans is abandonment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so my worry about that, like if you were crying in my meeting, that is, as you said, bringing your most evolved self, because when you got vulnerable enough to like not stop it and apologize and wipe away the tears and exile that portion. But you also said, I'm not going to let this part of me filter my view of the world. Mm-hmm. Like I have a seven-year-old that said a lot of men that are older are mean and you should like, they're just going to make you cry. That's not a useful belief to carry into the world or that all men are chauvinist pigs. I'm like, what if my belief was that many people have been conditioned based on someone else's understanding of their gender and can we have love for all? And so we preach two things a leader needs to do, love people up love them up. See it. I saw you really make an, a brave explanation and you gave word to your tears. And I love that. Thank you. See it. Appreciate it. That's loving people. And then you have the platform to call people up. May, do you want to talk about that more with me or somebody else? I'm not your savior. Or is that something you're introverted? You prefer more to journal on, but that's certainly something I'm interested when you're ready of you sharing more about what you're discovering about yourself. We have lost the ability as leaders and individuals to help integrate learning, to mine and reflect on our experiences for reframes. Right now, we're in echo chambers. Something happens at work. I call the two friends who agree with me that my boss is an asshole. Mm -hmm. And then I feel victim because how are you ever going to have a relationship with an asshole? I just need to go get more money someplace else and see I got more money. So that was a great career move. I never... Got to learn to work through conflict, but well, then I encounter another asshole. Get my another asshole because yeah. the universe will keep giving you assholes till you realize they're not assholes. Right. So <laughs> your and what I'm struggling with, what you're both saying is so interesting to me is that the resolution, the learning, like the stuff that we I think all teach and preach is so micro. Specific moments. Like I was thinking as you were telling your story, I was thinking about something I saw happen with a guy in a meeting recently. It's a white middle-aged male who was asked a hard question by a group of colleagues. And I could see him, I was on Zoom, and I could see him begin to respond in what I imagined he was enculturated for, which was that the question was asked, literally no time lapsed. And he began to give an answer, a solution of like, he was also, somebody else was trying to talk to. So he talked over that person and he started giving his solution and then he stopped. And he said, before I answer, I just want to share that actually, I don't know. Oh, it was like, literally it took that long. It took even longer for me to explain it than it did for him to do it. And when he said that, he said, I don't know the answer. I'm just, I just want to listen some more. And when he did, all this beautiful stuff came up from the employee that asked the question, from other people around thought and opinion. And for him, he got so much good data 
And later, when we debriefed the conversation in a coaching session, I asked him what that felt like. And he said it was awkward and true. Mm, he, told that he didn't have to have the answer. Like that one moment, and this guy probably has had the answer nine times out of 10 throughout the course of his life, because that's what he was taught good looked like to be a man like him. So and he was so praised for, yeah. And praised for. So for him to be like, it was so awkward that I didn't have the answer. And also it was what was real and true. And so he was just truly enlivened by that. And I said, did you know more after others talked than you did before? And he said, absolutely. Together, we're going to find the answer. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what true resilience is in our new research is that the genius is in the collective. Mm. And we have been taught that the genius is in us being the smartest person in the room. So ego is, I believe I have the best data point to add to this confidence is I believe I have a good data point. I'd like to put it into the crowdsource happening here. And I'm really confident. I anchor my confidence in that together, the collective of the genius. All that is, is helping people re-anchor confidence. And what I love about the example you shared and in, in goes back to May's point is what we know from the research is the moment is one thing, but the integration afterwards, the sense we make of the moment is super important. And people could leave that meeting and go, I'm glad he caught himself because he's been doing that for 10 years. And right. just one more example of how, and it's like, instead of having this compassion, I think what's happening, we're trying to solve problems by closing our minds and closing our hearts. And the only way we're going to solve problems is opening our hearts and opening our minds and just softening that down and integration. We leave so much learning on the table. Mm. We know that only like 10% of learning happens in classrooms. I think another 20% is like coaching. We've said forever, 70% is like on the job, but we've left 70% on the table. Like when I am with somebody and we solve a problem and they go plug and play, I like to claim time with them afterwards and say, what did you learn about you today? Not what should this other department do? Yes. What did you learn about you today? And given that new knowledge, how would you like to commit to moving through the world more skillfully? And how could I help you with that? What was most helpful and what was least helpful that I or others did today? That's the new, if you're going to be a leader, and I think leadership is dead, personally, I just <laughs> get, I, I'm sick that I'm even in, as a 58 year old feminist, I'm really sick that I'm even out there and I even ever get called like leadership development. I'm like, someone gag me. We're all leaders. <laughs> we all have responsibility to show up evolved. Like, let's, let's get out of somebody has more responsibility in this case than somebody else. We don't. That's all places victims hide out. But I do think that evolution is all about self-reflection in all of us working your own program of self-reflection. And we've got new competencies to get good at. We've got to get good at impermanence. And that is welcoming the new and letting go of the old. And philosophy and religions and civilizations have been telling us this for thousands of years. Attachment's the source of all suffering. Like it is, it's, it's the truest thing we know. And yet we don't insist that we work a program to get good at impermanence. Transcending polarized thinking. Do not solve your cognitive dissonance with doubling down on one dimensional binary uh, polarized yeah. view. Know how your mind works. Know when you're in cognitive dissonance, the temptation, and instead work to expand and say, what are 20 reasons this could be happening that are alternative to what my mind is telling me? So stop believing your own thinking and 
learn that you're the observer, whether it's through meditation or there's these programs we need to be working. But long ago, the ego was successful in getting personal separated out from professional. And then professional development came where I as leader would go to learn techniques to manipulate my people. And it's, it's none of that. A leader can't lead someone where they don't know how to go. I can't sit in a meeting with May's tears unless I've been able to sit with my own tears. I cannot lead her anywhere that I haven't been. And I don't mean we have to be specific. I'm not a mixed race. I'm not that I know of Chinese and why I haven't had that matriarchal influence in my culture that sometimes isn't helpful. I don't have to know her pain, but I have to have sat with my own pain and grief when I discovered what I believed to be true my whole life maybe wasn't. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. I thought I knew how to do this and I don't. Can somebody be with me for a moment? Yeah. This guy, oh, I love him. Can somebody be with him for a moment while he saw himself do that and then wound it back and then had to sit through? How many of you have had to sit through? I just realized something about myself I don't love. And now I'm going to sit through the rest of the Zoom meeting. (laughs) (laughs) I try to notice. Well, but you're making, you're giving me two strong ideas, many strong ideas. One is that, we talk a lot about repair and what the thing that's coming up for me is that what you're talking about as integration is also a type of repair, yeah. right? Like it's, it's, it's a new leadership competency. Yeah. They both make yeah. amends, turn towards one another, repair, like show insight. I am sorry. I see how this affected you. Stop saying it wasn't my intent. Show insight and then ask what I can do to make this up to you. Like yes. basic human skills are going to be this decade's like, We want to solve, we want to fix the world. We want to go out and impact the world, but we can't because we haven't allowed the world to impact us. Mm. So we are so underskilled in walking out into the world skillfully. So until we really do our evolutionary work, and that's why I think so much is happening in psychedelics and in all this evolutionary work, because we got to get out of the mind in therapy and realize that our brain isn't in our heads. It's in our nervous system. It's in our gut. It's in our, you know, there's little tiny brains in every single mitochondria. Once we get out of what we've been conditioned to do, we don't even, for me, as I, I don't even want to say as I'm evolving, I think I'm evolving, but as I walk out into the world and I think I live in a Baja and I think I look at nature and my white mind says, oh my God, there's a fungi in the cactus. I must fix it. I wonder if I can research like what nutrient to add. And then said, I'm like, if I listen to my whole cellular level, do you know my responsibility in nature is to um, be part of the beauty and to observe beauty because beauty can't exist without an observer. It has to be reciprocal. And to stop interfering with the bigger system and what it's trying to do. Like, why don't I go back and just quit using Don this detergent that is affecting our cactus? Because we know that, like when it gets into our wells. Oh, I could do that. But I was into my intellectual mind. Like, how much money can I give to save the cactus organization? Why? Because I think they're pretty. Well, and so it just unwinds all this responsibility and burden. But so many people go out to impact. That's the mastery. But they aren't good at another competency we're writing about and talking about, which is the ability to be impacted by the world, the openness to be evolved by the world. Totally. Totally. And so I, so, the, so related to that, I think we're going to rename the 
Leading People Program, which is one of our signature programs. Leadership is dead. We're going to pick up on Cy Wakeman. We're going to change the name of the program. Leading Others is dead. (laughs) What's leadership doing about this? I'm like, they are two humans. You are 47. I don't know. Right. So their track record is they can't fix your reality. And we, we set leaders up to be the buffer of reality. Like so many times as leaders, I'm telling you people, they're like, we could just hire more people. I'm like, budget is neutral right now. And they're like, they come up with all these good ideas. I shoot them down. I'm like, oh my God, you have me in reality so confused. Yeah. Like you think I, as your leader, I'm stopping this. Yes. We're not vetoing your ideas. Reality is vetoing your ideas. And so I think we just, when we talk about this hierarchy or leaders are responsible for psychological safety, I'm like, you got to make your psychological safety portable. Like, why would you want to restrict your freedom where you can wander in the world? Let's teach you how to have boundaries and how to trust your gut when you sense danger and how to turn away without violence, but with gentleness and figure out ways to re-enter more equipped. What if your psychological safety was portable? That way you could wander through the world more freely. Why would you outsource that to me? Now, I'm not talking about extremes. If somebody is harming you, that has nothing to do with psychological safety. That has to do with abuse. But And there's also no guarantee though, Sai, right? That's why we, and I admire and appreciate the work of Amy Evanson and others in psychological safety, but I disagree with the word because I don't think we ever can guarantee safety. This is something we talk about. So we cannot guarantee safety. It doesn't mean that something is going to it's not going to be hard. Are you familiar with the word? If we guarantee safety and we buffer you from reality, we stunt your evolution. Yes, totally. We stunt your evolution because I am all for, I don't like when pain comes into my life, but talk about (laughs) the fast track. I can do 20 years of therapy mentally in one year if I have a a death or like pain is inevitable, but the suffering part is optional. And that's the part we can deal with. Beautiful. And also as leaders, when we are doing some of the work you're talking about, we don't have to sacrifice ourselves on the altar of the things, the mythology that we've built up around what a good leader looks like. Because in that, in those old models, we become heroic. We become the one who are, we had a client recently share this term with us, which May and I both, I think, use a lot now, which is he described, he said to things this way, as a middle manager, he said, I sometimes feel like my job is to be the shit umbrella, which is that I protect my people from the shit by holding the umbrella over their heads. And we were like, actually, that is not, that is not what happens if you are a filter and a translator and a meaning maker um, in, instead of that, which is a completely different mindset. Oh my leadership, when I first heard it coming from a therapy background, is codependent, dysfunctional, yes. never totally. have been so working. Yeah. And there's like this, the idea of mass abandonment is really interesting to me because it also includes yourself. Mm -hmm. Do not abandon yourself in the situation of the chance to be better. I think there's like some nest there inside of leadership of just, you don't have to say that this is just the way that you are. Again, back to my three-year-old, I wouldn't say to, I wouldn't say to Kraz, this is just the way you are. Like that's such a demeaning thing to say. And I will always throw tantrums when I cut your toe strong. I'm sure that's genetically how you're doing. (laughs) That's how we all are. Yeah. No, like, welcome to I never have a good relationship (laughs) because, unless the toast is perfect, I don't know the future. But why would we do that to ourselves? I'm like so struck by this. Is actually one of the more interesting conversations around leadership and DEI. 
like being interchangeable that I've bared witness to in a while mm-hmm. is that they, I think sometimes people like to think that DEI is just like part of leadership. It's just like an arm, mm-hmm. right? And Mo and I have been wrestling with this because there's lots of conversations where people are like, okay, cool. Can you come in and do a DEI like session with us for $400 or whatever? Yeah. And it's like, no, <laughs> there, yeah. there are so many other things that have to do that. And, and the idea that you would come in and be like, we're just going to work on repair for yeah. 48 hours yeah. straight. Yeah. Your leadership is what the ego siphoned off and said, you can teach this. It's the safe stuff and it keeps the hierarchy and it keeps the patriarchy. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can teach that. D- we think DEI is part of leadership. DEI is the overarching how to be a human, know how your mind works, know your unconscious biases, know your conditioning, know how do we come together in not only repair, but restitution and how do we figure that stuff out? And what you just said is so profound. And what I have found out in my own personal work, my latest book was a personal one that came out during COVID, but it's called Life's Messy, Live Happy. And it was about people are like, this helps me at work. It helps me at home. How have you lived these principles? Because they started to think that I had this perfect life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, life's <laughs> messy. And I have made every mistake that I was warned about growing up. Like I read so many feminist books in the twenties to not make any of these mistakes of the Cinderella effect. And I made them twice. Mm. People are like, <laughs> why did you marry your first husband? I'm like, cause he asked me, like I was so into being chosen. And they're like, why did you marry your second husband? And he finally asked me like, I don't mind as well. But going back to abandonment, I was so ticked at people betraying and abandoned me. It was a story I co-created over and over again until I realized that I was first to the table of abandonment. I abandoned myself far earlier than anyone ever abandoned me. I didn't speak up. I compromised. I wasn't in threatening situations. I just was being performative. I was not in touch. I wasn't doing my inner work in that moment. And self-abandonment is one of the biggest issues we have. And it goes back to topics that are baby topics in DNI. Like mm-hmm. how many times have you spent a gazillion dollars to straighten your dang curly hair instead of we self-abandon and then we're mad that we're not like accepted at the table. And there's a lot of retaliation that's happened and microaggression and macroaggression. So I'm not blaming the victim here. Yeah. But part of me, like during COVID, I was so righteous. I'm like, yeah, men have always been able to wear jeans and sport coat on this public stage. And women have always been expected to wear St. John's wear. I'm going to start wearing. I'm good. Now I can finally wear jeans and a sport coat. And I'm like, pretty sure I could have worn that always. But I've been mad for 10 years. That <laughs> there's no equity, gender, no gender equity in stage apparel. And I doubt somebody would have Cy Wakeman show up and be like, girl, those jeans just don't fit our dress code. And how do I know this? Because Simon Sinek shows up and they're like, hey, love your tennis shoes. Totally. And but that takes a lot of inner reflection and consciousness, which is so interesting, Cy. And I know we have to let you go. But I this conference that I just at hosted by the House of Beautiful Business. If you haven't heard of it, you should definitely do no. that. And by the way, do you, are you familiar with the work of Margaret Heffernan? 
No. So Margaret's a researcher in the UK. One of her books is called Beyond Measure, but she used, she talks a lot about social capital, the power of how we, the way we, that we actually aren't going to be solving any problems alone anymore. And she's just really kicking it. She might be interesting for you to follow up. But the word consciousness came up a lot at the conference that I was just at, which was very much focused on a life-centered economy. And at first it was interesting for me because at first when they started talking about it, I was like, blah, 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 blah. Like in my mind, because I'm not a philosophy major, I don't, I haven't studied the Buddha. Like I don't have a high titer necessarily for what I sometimes think of as abstract concepts. And a lot of the focus was on the role of technology in our evolution or our lack of evolution. And that really got me hooked because of what I think we're talking about here. That's so powerful around how, what is the antidote to the mass abandonment Mm -hmm. that is causing the pain that we're feeling. Of course, in in our arena right now, it's the workplace, but we all know that it's happening in every arena of life. And for me, the antidote is the things that we've been talking about. And so I just want to thank you both because it's very enlivening for me, very enlivening for me. In fact, it's so enlivening that I would say at this stage and age, it is what keeps me going every day is this is what we must believe. We must talk together like we are about the antidotes that are possible and within reach for mere mortals. Yes. You know, like us. <laughs> you're there because you only have to do some of this some of the time and we'll make progress. Like not for yeah. and I just so echo what you're saying because and I also want to be careful when I say go evolve yourself. Like yeah. we gave up our mission statement, we gave up our values and our vision statement to hashtags. Love wins yeah. always, I promise, and evolve yourself. And then we're like, wait a minute. We need a third hashtag and life's messy. Get out there because when I started talking to myself and others about evolve yourself, I felt like I became a self-help project. I'm like, I need a sabbatical to go off into the jungles of Brazil and come out evolved. And these are going inside in microdoses mm. and then coming out. So the more you evolve yourself, the more you can walk through the world more lovingly. But where all this happens is in the messy middle. Mm. That's what we're all scared of. That's the vulnerability piece you talk about. Because I may have an insight about myself, but I'm never going to walk through the world with that perfectly. I'm going to screw that up daily. But I can walk through the world with trying to do that more rather than less and owning myself. So the skill sets we need for people is don't go off and have little self-compassion and make yourself a self-help project. Evolution is reflection and going within and collecting themes and just being willing to notice and to stay in a conversation internally while feeding yourself nourishing podcasts and books and And interactions with teachers and company and And also repairing when you mess it up. Like, I think there's so much there. It's just like, you're allowed to mess it up. You're allowed to mess it up. Like a lot of people won't have conversations. And I'm like, oh, we just have to memorize an exit line because you're scared to get into things because you're scared you're going to mess it up. And that's only 100% going to be accurate to so <laughs> get out of messing it up. And a lot of it is, wow, you've given me a lot to think about. Can we connect again next week and begin this conversation? Yes. Anew? And so many of us are involved in exhausting conversations and we don't know what to do. Just end the conversation, yeah. right? not just in the moment, but as a topic and begin a new conversation. Yeah. To work two days a week or three days a week. That's a horrible conversation. Start a new one. I care about you. We haven't connected. We've been apart. We're undernourished. 
please come. I'm inviting you to come back. Let's talk about our new world, what we want to create, what might be best done together and what might be best done apart. And then maybe we'll figure out a work schedule. But in the meantime, let's have juicy conversation about, about the real the I love that I love that let's talk about the real juicy stuff and let me just put a little plug in because this is again something that we talk a lot about it in order to do what you're talking about what we're talking about the kinds of micro learning yeah. insight development that happens we have to kill the hero's journey yeah oh my gosh please put that book (laughs) and the story that the hero goes away does all that work internally comes back and bestows wisdom upon everybody that myth is no longer valid dead and that it has to be so freaking dramatic yes swallowed by a whale i'm in the belly of the whale (laughs) hey do you want to go on a growth journey with me you're gonna be totally alone i'll abandon you and it's stop for 75% of it. And when you come back, no one will listen to you. But I think you will be worshiped perhaps because they will have believed in you or whatever. Yeah, I agree. And also who has the time? I'm sorry. There's no dancing, there's no singing, there's no loving. Nobody gets to have sex. There's none of that. We've decided we're going to, we're going to kill it. Okay. The hero's journey dead. It was never a heroine's journey anyway. Yeah. I'm really stuck on the, I was thinking about this when you said heroic is just tantrum. And I was like, Oh, that's so freaking real. People are like, I have to do everything myself. And I'm the only one who knows how to do things. And I've worked double shifts. I'm like, Lynn, you're obviously super underskilled on how to do this martyr. I have to shield my people from knowledge, like, and shit. I have to be the shit. Talk about the ego having you by the tail. Like, Yes, that's your job. That's you're going to yes. be active yeah. to protect them. Why would you come back tomorrow? If somebody said, here, hold this umbrella, I would be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this oh, has been a God. delight. I adore the two of you. This cannot be the end. No, I have to figure out a way to, stuff. to gather um, in the world. Great resources. Thank you for teaching me. Oh, wow. I have one more question. Will you tell our people how they can support your work and will you be specific, please? Oh, absolutely. We love follows and we love expansive commentary on our follows. You don't have to take on any resistors, <laughs> um, but we love expansive commentary. Let's activate the silent majority of us just trying to take in little data points from so many social feeds. So I'm at Cy Wakeman at Alex store is also amazing. Um, and we also at realitybasedleadership.com forward slash newsletter, have a great newsletter. We don't sell you stuff. We just send you out some cool video. We found this our way around some of the algorithms, but if you Google Cy Wakeman, you're going to find books and videos. We are prolific in what we put out there because we believe in abundance and we just aren't here to put a dollar mark on everything. Follow us, tap in. My podcast is called No Ego. We're talking a lot about love this episode. So we have a lot of people talking about love and acceptance and non-businessy type terms that we hope get businessy. Just review and share. You all know the drill. Let's amplify the voices that are inviting us to gather and reflect 
And let's not amplify the voices that have already charged people with criminal offenses for doing the best they can in the world. So like that, no one heals from hearing they're a jerk. No one heals. No one. So let's, as we're healing, let's not bring harm to others. They know not what they do. Oh, so mm. good. So good. Cy Wakeman and May, what a wonderful conversation for this Thursday morning. Can't even express my gratitude enough. Thank you. And we got more. We got more to do, Cy. Awesome. I love your work. So grateful you had me on. And May, it was a blast to get to know you, Mo. It was fantastic. And I love the multi-generational parenting thing. So May, you're still in the stage where you, you want to be a good parent. And when you get to our age, you're just glad they all survived and they aren't <laughs> whole human beings. Hallelujah. That is, the true words have never been said. They all survived so far by the grace of God. God, go all of us. <laughs> Bye, you all. Bye. Bye. We hope that you have loved this conversation with Cy Wakeman as much as we did. At Momentum, we are on a mission to make every workplace good for people. It really helps us out if you share this podcast in your network, leave a review wherever it is that you listen, and like or download your favorite episodes. We want to get our message into the hands of more business owners and brave people leaders who have the power for change. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing.